how to best prepare for the future, especially in churches that experience any kind of change or transition, with the author of Normalizing Next, a post-COVID resource for church leaders, Pastor Olu Brown, on episode number 13 of the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. God is not uh, taken off guard by these interruptions. Uh, essentially, God is walking with us every step of the way as we innovate and create into the future. And that's what Normalizing Next is all about. You are welcome to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Bishop Tremble is on a mission to encourage you with the love of Jesus Christ so you can rise to your highest potential. On To Be Encouraged, Bishop Tremble speaks to a discouraged world with a good word on the pandemic, racism, the environment, human sexuality, and the state of the church with a focus on centering your life on the love of Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a more needed time for an encouraging word to our world? This is your time to rise to your greatest potential and to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Hello, good people, and welcome to the two be in encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. I'm your co-host, Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, and it is our privilege to bring you an encouraging word to a discouraged, often discouraging world. And we have a person to speak into this situation we find in our world right now with an indeed an encouraging word. It is, his name is Olujimi Olu Brown. And he is the pastor of the uh, lead, of the East of the Lead Impact Church or of the Impact Church of Metropolitan Indianapolis, Metropolitan Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, in Indianapolis, and he's in Atlanta. And uh, this is a fast-growing new church plant. It was founded in 2007 and has grown from a core team of 25 people to more than 5,000 online viewers with a four million dollar budget. It's one of the fastest-growing churches, the United Methodist Church and as a new church start in the United States. And it was listed as the number five fastest growing large United Methodist Church in 2018. That's a part of the story there. He's also the father of Daya Elam Brown and Langston Wesley Brown. He's a native of Lufton, Texas, and he has a great educational background. What he believes about the church is it's going to make meaningful impact by what he calls the, the doing Church differently, or DCD, and we're going to find out more about that today. We're also going to focus today on one of his books, which is Normalizing Next, a post-COVID resource for church leaders. It has a book and a guidebook. You can find him at olubrown.com. Welcome to our podcast today, Olu Brown. We're glad to have you. Well, glad to be here, Bishop Trimble. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Looking forward to the conversation. Wonderful. Well, Bishop, would you like to have your own welcome for Olu Brown to our podcast here today? Well, well, welcome, my friend Olu Brown, and thank you for your leadership across the country and in the globe uh, with your 
uh, preaching and your teaching and the resources that you put it in the hands of both clergy and laity. And, and I think it's this is very timely. Uh, I, I, I know we're on, on live on a recorded broadcast, but I do want to just say, hope your family's doing well. I'm sure your yes. children have had quite a few birthdays since the last time I saw you. Yes. So, so, so God bless you and glad to have you. And for those who are listening, we just want you to know that if you've been looking for a sign that God loves you, maybe this podcast is that sign. We just want you to know that you are loved by God. No need to debate it. No need to question it. And we, we hope that you'll have a great day. And we're all about helping you to be encouraged uh, Olu, we just uh, glad to have you with us, but we'd really like to start with our guest as we are a you know, faith-based podcast, and, and Bishop Trimble is a bishop in the United Methodist Church, and we've got a lot of things going on in our church and our world right now, but I really always like to start with your personal life. Hmm. Can you tell us just a little bit about your faith journey, how you came to Christ in the first place, and how your faith journey led you eventually to be uh, the pastor of the church you're at now and you know, where you're at now in life? Yeah. Well, I consider myself fortunate to have been exposed to faith uh, very early on, even from uh, birth. Um, My father, um, before he passed away, had served his entire career in the Presbyterian Church USA. And uh, and then growing up uh, with him in parts of New Jersey, Newark specifically. And then towards the end of his life, he was in Los Angeles, got a chance to see various parts of the country. And then growing up <clears throat> with my mother in a small town America in Texas between a couple of Baptist churches and then uh, coming into the United Methodist Church through a new church plant and then going to a uh, Disciples of Christ undergrad. So by the time I was 21, I had a pretty uh, extensive ecumenical background, which gives me a great a- appreciation for various denominations and expressions of the faith today. And so through those experiences and great mentors and Sunday school teachers and uh, mission uh, workers uh, and so many other folks, I was exposed to the faith early on. As it related to my calling and understanding that in ministry, it was a new church plant that happened to be a United Methodist Church in my hometown. And we started going to that church as teenagers and the pastor, a gentleman named Lauren Chung, who is still a mentor in my life to this day, really uh, helped me understand my call to ministry and uh, the lay people in the church and saw me through undergrad, graduate school into um, serving at a local church here in Atlanta called Cascade United Methodist Church. And then after about five and a half years there, I uh, was appointed to plant a new church <clears throat> with a group of about 25 volunteers and we launched off in 2007, and this year we celebrated our 15th year. So that's been a bit of my faith journey, and uh, all the folks along the way who have helped me and still help me in so many significant ways. Several of your books and writing have to do with church planning and church growth and so on, and, and we come to a time right now where we're in some transitions in our world, and you've got some personal transitions, and I know that uh, Bishop particularly wants to talk to you about uh, your project called Next, uh, Normalizing Next. Yes. Bishop, yes. Do you, what do you? <clears throat> well, thank you. Thank you for the resource, Olu, and for your writing, your, your gifted communicator and storyteller. Uh, in your book, you talk about people who've also encouraged you, lay, lay yes. people as well as clergy. But early on, you mentioned, you know, the, the early Christian followers weren't really called Christians. I think that. Yes comes, I think it's first, that first appears maybe in the book of Acts and in Antioch. Mm-hmm. 
But prior to that, they were the called the people of the way, those yes. who followed Jesus' way. Well, you know, we're part of the United Methodist Church, at least at least I'm a bishop in the United Methodist Church. It seems like for a long time we've been trying to find our way and, you know, yeah. we even had the way forward. Uh, so when you when you think about where the church is now, uh, you talk about uh, looking forward and, and 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 finding life patterns. What, yes. what do you say about that? We're not. We're yeah. no longer. Uh, are, are we still in a point, or, or has COVID really been a wake up call to say, "Hey, this is time for us." This this is the Jeremiah twenty nine passage that yes. you that you refer to. Can you say something about that? Yes. Well, it's really uh, the foundation of this new book resource, Normalizing Next, the post-COVID-19 resource for churches and church leaders. Even before the pandemic, I and other leaders like yourselves, uh, we were seeing and sensing a shift. And I think COVID-19 really just brought that into clarity and focus for so many leaders. So the challenges we have in the church now also existed before COVID-19, but we, through COVID-19, have faced a lot of trauma and a lot of difficulty, but we also have been given some opportunities and that is to make some adjustments and some changes. But that window as we're coming through COVID is closing very rapidly. So the book is all about normalizing next. That means programming, thinking and planning for the future now, not waiting. And because your podcast talks about being encouraged it also gives hope and encouragement to help leaders know you have the capacity as lay people and clergy to do it now and don't wait because it's the Esther Mordecai conversation. For such a time as this, you've been called. You're needed right now. You make reference to life with patterns. Yes. You, what, does that, what does that mean? So when we think about these patterns in life and living in church and organizations, there are these uh, patterns that we all live into. And many of those things are very good. And sometimes in the church, we call them traditions, we call them mm -hmm. programs, but it's also an opportunity to interrupt some of those patterns, programs, and traditions, not for the sake of interruption, just because but to live and ask ourselves, is this where the church is going in the future? Is this where culture is going in the future? And if the answer is no, then we have to interrupt and adjust some of those patterns. So one of the things that we saw, even in serving the sacraments that was interrupted uh, during COVID and people had to think differently, how do we share the sacraments and still do it in a way that is sacred and honors our faith tradition? And so that's just one example of patterns we've seen in the church, how they can be interrupted because of this pandemic, because of society, because of war, because of any number of things. But that's where the church, I think, is at the at its best, at our at our best when we face these interruptions and we think differently, we operate differently and we discover that God is a God of a fresh word and a new revelation and that God is not uh, taken off guard by these interruptions. Uh, essentially, God is walking with us every step of the way as we innovate and create into the future. And that's what Normalizing Next is all about. Brad, I know you're kind of leaning in a little bit. I know you probably want to uh, weigh well, in on something. Yeah, well, uh, I just, there's an issue here that I think we need to deal with, Olu and Bishop, regarding when we talk about normalizing next and we talk about the, um, you know, facing the future and so on. 
And I really would like for you to address it. I know you address it in some of your videos and so on, but that is the word fear. Mm. That is the word yeah. fear. Because fear can paralyze people and fear can sometimes motivate people. Sometimes it motivates people to go backwards, you know, to go mm. to a different direction. Can you just speak to that issue of uh, fear <clears throat> as it relates to your process of normalizing next? Because yeah. uh, I just think that's a biggie. So as leaders, and when I say leaders, I'm saying clergy and lay who are uh, watching and, and listening to our, our time together, we have a choice and you can choose fear or you can choose faith. And as a leader, uh, if I'm honest, I don't always choose faith. And I talk about this in the book. Uh, at the beginning of COVID-19, I was not the best leader. I was leading through anxiety. I was leading through fear. And consequently, as one of the key leaders of our church, there were some decisions that were made earlier on that weren't faith decisions. And that's why we've got to be so careful as leaders who have influence. If we're leading out of fear, the people who we're influencing will also adopt that fear. If we're leading out of faith, they will adopt that faith. So as leaders, we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe in what we read and what we say and what we sing? And we know scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have your numbers accurate. It doesn't mean you shouldn't practice before the football game. You should do all of those things. But at the end of the day, no matter how accurate the numbers are, the analysis may be, or the practice, it's still in God's hands. And that's what faith is all about, doing everything that we need to do, but trusting that ultimately this is in God's hands. And I think most churches realize after two years of a pandemic, we're a lot better than we thought we would be. And we look back over the last two years in the fearful moments. And if you're like me, you really ask yourself, was it really worth it? What if we had gone into this pandemic with faith instead of fear? We would have probably been even better off than we are right now. So just a little bit about fear and how we yes. manage it. That's great. Thank you for That's sharing great. that. That's great. You, you talk about not living in one single dimension. I really love that. Yes. Because I, I think so often, <laughs> uh, particularly we get caught up with this, Brad and Olu, with putting people in boxes and, you know, categories and on theological spectrums and yes. and in little echo chambers uh, where, but but the, we really, we, 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 we don't live or exist just on in one single dimension. Can you expand on that a little bit? Very much so. We're, we're complex as human beings. And I've always felt, uh, in particular as an African-American male, uh, for someone to see me at a distance and immediately put me in a category without having a conversation. And sadly, we do that based on gender. We do that based on race. We do that based on academics, just any number of things. We place people in these singular one-dimensional settings when that's not who we are. We're very complex and very extraordinary beings uh, created, according to the psalmist, by Almighty God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, you know, Brad has said uh, he's a former church planner. I'm a church planner. And one of the blessings of being a church planner is we get a unique opportunity to build a church that really, we hope, represents the love of Jesus Christ for all people that welcomes uh, all of the wonderful and extraordinary parts of people uh, day one. And I think that's the reflection of the church. That's who Jesus Christ is. If you look at each of the disciples now, of course, we historically say 
uh, he had 12, but Jesus really had more than 12 disciples. And, and Jesus was blessed with both men and women as disciples. And if you were to do a personality profile of each of these individuals, they were different. And it was their uniqueness and them being different that allowed the ministry to continue after Easter and do what we call the Great Commission to go into all the world. So I guess a quick wrap up and summary is the blessing to ministry is the uniqueness of people. And if we can embrace that, we can really then fulfill the Great Commission. And that's to go into all the world. That's great. That's great. Brad, it's interesting because I think that 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 question you had about about fear is really tied, really tied to that. You know, as a bishop, you know, I still have churches that say, well, we don't want somebody like this or. We yes. don't want a woman pastor. We don't want a pastor that doesn't speak speak English well, or or we've never had an African American pastor, and so forth. And sometimes we block our own blessings out of the fear of the diversity that God has already said is good. Uh, so it's 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 a it's a it's a conundrum, if you will. I, I really like the notion that vision is a team sport, and sometimes yes. we sometimes we lock on these and they become cliches, but you talk about in normalize the next really how to practice this so so you know how how would you pastors are listening to this and 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 lay leaders are listening to will listen to this how how might we practice uh vision more as a team sport now there's people can point to the bible and say you know god does give individuals a vision and we can dream dream big and you know we should dream big but how do we make it a a vision vision sports so that you don't as uh, I think Brad or you and others others have said you know otherwise you you think you're a leader you turn around and you're you're just taking a walk if nobody's behind you nobody right. with you you're just taking a walk so can you say more yeah. about vision as a team sport yes thank you Bishop you know this book was written by a practitioner with practical down-to-earth tools and tips and key uh, points to help uh, those of us who are doing this work. Um, and so chapter two is all about vision. And so when we think about vision, it's a process. We first discern it, then we discover it, and then we deploy it. Now, once you discern, discover, and deploy, you've got two options. Do I do this by myself or do I build a team? And I admit as a leader, one of the many mistakes that I've made is try to do vision alone. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized at the top of every mountain are two things. It's a different panoramic view and it's pretty lonely. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is it's not about getting to the pinnacle of the mountain for vision. It's the experiences, it's the people, it's the conversations that you have along the way. And so as leaders, we have to get over ourselves and realize we don't have all of the skills alone to make the vision come to pass. And so team building and doing vision as a team sport should be an essential policy for every leader and every ministry, every person, everyone who's in the local church. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, you may be a gifted teacher, but the question I would have for you as one of your pastors is who are you training and who are you mentoring to help you teach this wonderful Sunday school? You may be a great vacation Bible school leader, but who are we building this vacation Bible school team with so that 
it can be even greater than any one person. So we're constantly receiving vision, but as we're receiving that vision, we're constantly asking God, who needs to be on this team to make the vision come to pass? And so as I'm preparing to retire from the local church, one of the things that I've had to do constantly in ministry is to build teams. It may be a programmatic team. It may be a ministry team. It might be a finance team. It might be a facilities team. It might be sweep the parking lot team. It doesn't matter. You are constantly, constantly building teams. And to develop a DNA of team culture in any church or any organization, it ensures it lives beyond any one person. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what every leader should want, to build a legacy and not for it to end when their tenure ends. Interesting that you put it that way in terms of building the teams and so on, because it, that, that infers a level of, uh, of order and organization that is needed to move the vision forward. Yes. And I know one of the things that you say in some of your work here is that sometimes we have a codependency on chaos. Yes. And I'd like to say a word about that because, you know, we live in a chaotic time. We live in a chaotic time. COVID, still chaotic, you know, still is uh, two years into it. And we are still impacted by that. And we're talking about moving next. And we're impacted by the war in Ukraine and by politics overall and racism and certainly by uh, circumstances in our United Methodist Church. But as sometimes I think we get, I like to call it the malaise of mediocrity. We kind of sometimes get stuck there in that chaos. Can you speak to this issue of the, uh, the, the codependency of chaos and how you don't have to be uh, uh, connected to your problems all the way. Yeah. And there's another C word and it's called complexity. And so two things that we can see that can help uh, lead to the demise or the plateau of a local church or ministry is chaos and complexity. And typically the source of those two things are people because people make up our ministries, people make up our churches. One of the things I've adopted as a leader is this theme called three steps or less, meaning if any ministry, if any team, if any process or system is more than three steps, it's too chaotic and it's too complex for the average volunteer. If you were to sit an average volunteer down and ask them to write out or type out their schedule for an entire week, in particular, if they have young children, it would literally be mind boggling to see all of the things they're responsible for every single day. And then they come into the life of our church. And if it's not organized, if it's chaos, if it's overly complex, they really want to give their greatest value, which is their time, but they can't because they can't navigate a complex system or there's just too much chaos. So what I encourage leaders to do inwardly and externally is to look at every process, every system, every procedure, every policy, and ask the question, is it more than three steps? And if the answer is yes, then we have to cut some steps away. We have to simplify it, take out the complexity. And if the source of chaos sometimes is a person, then we have to be willing to have some difficult conversations and ask ourselves, not only do we have the right process, but do we have the right person? And if the answer is no, then we have to make some changes for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the ministry, because we can never allow people to hold the ministry hostage to the Great yes. Commission. So it's the leader's role to simplify. Is Very that much. Going? So. Okay. 
I but think the leader has to go through the process them uh, well, himself or herself as well. Well, which is complex in its own right to simplify. But yes. Uh, but uh, I just want to get clear on that, getting clarity on that, because I just see it as an ongoing theme here to simplify yeah. things to make them more applicable and transferable yes. principles here. And when there's a whole chapter in the new book on that, uh, three yeah. steps or less. So, may, maybe a next book you can write is how to create drama-free zones. Brad, we've all pastored churches. So, you know, yeah, uh, that, that, what you said makes sense, but how do you create a drama-free zone? Some people seem to, uh, you know, uh, want to feast at the buffet of drama. And so uh, I create, yeah, uh, yeah. create that. Well, I, I think, one of the things I think that I really found to be helpful, and we wrestle with this all the time as leaders, is, is asking and living with the right questions. Mm. And you talk about that, and I'd, I'd like to ask Olu to weigh in, and then Brad, you as well. Sure. You know, what are, what are the questions we should be? And you, you said there's at least one pivotal question we always have to ask is, where are you? Yes. <laughs> and so I want to talk about what the role of questions Yes. Uh, and I often say this uh, with, in, my own, in my own leadership team. I said, for example, if you if, if you can't live with some level of ambiguity, then you probably United Methodism isn't 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 your isn't your lane. But mm. but but we really have to wrestle with the questions. It's not always about just ending a meeting uh, that you know you've got answers to everything. But what there should be some questions that help drive a driver ministry so that we stay focused on the mission. Yeah, very much so. You know, I think uh, when we look at our lives and in particular get to the end of a particular experience, we see things we could have done differently or better. You know, in a couple of months, I'll be retiring from the local church and I'll be coaching and consulting full time. And as a part of that uh, and preparing for it, I'm going through my coaching certification and coaching is all about asking questions and not knowing the answers. Uh, sometimes the, the the fewer answers you know, the better you are as a coach. And I would have been a much better pastor, a much better leader if I had taken a coaching approach instead of trying to be a supervisor of everyone. So for instance, as a leader over the years, instead of asking questions, I would give solutions or I would make statements. And what that does to a team or an individual is it becomes debilitating because it basically short circuits everything. And instead of the person having to think differently, try differently, work through some problems and come up with their own solution, Olu always has the answer. And guess what that develops? A DNA that says, we don't have to think as much, we don't have to work as much. And that's detrimental to any church, any organization. So here are some questions uh, that I would ask you to consider in whatever place you're leading in. So question number one, as Bishop Trimble mentioned, where are you right now? That can be personal, that can be spiritual, that can be professional. Never assume we know where other leaders are. Ask mm -hmm. the question. Uh, a second question is, what do I need to know about this circumstance? What do I need to know about this problem? What do I need to know about this relationship or uh, this issue that is occurring. Never assume that we have all of the answers, um, but what do we need to know? Uh, and, and so those are just two uh, of, of the big questions, but there are a ton. And typically you ask questions around uh, what, where, how, and when. And as a leader, if you can start there, instead of making a statement or giving a solution, 
you'll find you'll develop a much healthier culture and environment uh, in particular for the team and for yourself. That is great. I was just thinking about what you said about it when you come up with statements and solutions, how that may stunt the creativity uh, and the <clears throat> giftedness that's all around us, particularly with, with lay people. With, and, and I think also intergenerational leaders. I'm, a, I'm now both Brad and I are, are grandpa, grandparents and one of my names is Papa. But it's so, I learned so much from a four-year-old yeah. that that you you wouldn't you wouldn't believe. But but she, she she's not she's not she's not stunted. Uh, her creativity hasn't been stunted by me giving all of the answers because she's got so many questions herself. And and it's amazing. I, I happen to be talking about a mental illness. It's in one context, and one of the persons came up to me, a lay person, and said, "Hey, I work with the National Association of Mental Ill NAMI." And, you know, I've been waiting for a pastor, you know, to bring this up because we, we really have a lot of needs we could, we could be addressing uh, as, as a congregation. And we have resources. Now, but we, 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 if, we don't, if we don't really create the kind of environment where people's giftedness and creativity can be shared, then we're really, uh, we're really not helping ourselves. In your book, you do something that sometimes successful leaders don't necessarily do. And unless I read it wrong, Olu, mm. at the end, you kind of confess how, <clears throat> how you didn't believe this was around, I think, when I was reading around raising generosity. Yes. How, how, you know, even before the pan pandemic, your church was already had 60% online giving. Yes. Uh, and rather than, rather than celebrate and accentuate that, that you kind of operated out of, you know, a, a, maybe a little bit of fear. These are my words. You could correct me. Uh, and said, maybe I, di I didn't believe in you realizing that that you really already had before you. So can you say something about the, the whole notion of raising generosity? And, and you could have left that out the book and got away with it, but you but you put it right in there. Did I read it wrong? No, you it, and that's chapter eight. And if it's OK, I'll just read a quick excerpt. Um, and I talk about my own struggle with money. And what I listed is I have a condition called scarcity mentality. Of course, you will never see this diagnosis in a medical journal journal, or hear your primary doctor talking to you about it, but it is a real condition. And here are the three symptoms of it. Number one, constant fear that resources will run out. Number two, a constant battle with believing in God's promises. And number three, constant doubt in the goodness of God's people to support God's church. And so Bishop, I tell the story to groups often that, you know, thanks be to God, uh, I was ordained by B Bishop Huey in the Texas Annual Conference and started my, my uh, uh, journey there when Bishop Huey placed her hands on me and ordained me and said, take now authority. It was a very powerful moment, but it didn't take away my scarcity mentality. <laughs> and then uh, Bishop Lindsey Davis here in North Georgia gives me an opportunity to plant a new church. So guess what I take into this new church? a scarcity mentality. And we all do it in particular as pastors in the ministries or areas that we lead. And if we don't have people who can call attention to those gaps in our leadership, we will continue to infuse that into the culture. And so what I realized is because I had that mentality, other leaders adopted that mentality and every decision they made in particular related to finances wasn't always a faith decision it was a fearful decision. And so I own it. And it has 
uh, impacted us as it related to our generosity. And people will see our numbers and say, hey, y'all have raised a lot of money over the years, but it has been with a struggle of me and other leaders constantly confronting our fear around generosity and truly asking ourselves, even in a pandemic, do we believe God will supply all of our needs according to the riches and glory? And if the answer is yes, then even a pandemic, you have to act like it. And thanks be to God, God has overcome and constantly overcomes our fear. And because that's the thing, the, the natural leaning, the natural <laughs> inclinations to think of lack are what you don't have. Yes. That empty space. And the faith response is what the, what you can have and what you can appreciate by being a generous minded person and the generosity follows that. And I think this is part of what I'm picking up and what you're all, all about has to do with this whole thing about, uh, you don't have to be wrapped up in your problems. You can have a future focus. Yes. And I, I love that uh, future focus, but it's so hard to do, isn't it? Yeah. Give us some strategies to people in there. You know, I know you have a few questions about, you know, who am, who am I, where am I, whose am I? Mm-hmm. But how can individuals who are then a part of churches or part of organizations or businesses, <clears throat> uh, what are some strategies for them to gain that future focus? Yeah. Live and lack? I think there are several things. One, having your own personal devotional life. And I know for in particular lay people who are listening to this, you may not believe it, but you can be a preacher of the gospel and not do the best job of having a devotional life. Uh, and we know as preachers, sometimes uh, you can get into a habit of reading the Bible to prepare to preach, and that's never good. So whether you're lay or clergy, you need to have your own devotional life. And that may be prayer time, scripture reading time, meditation. We've just come through Lent and other seasons. You know, uh, all of those things are important. Um, The second is, are you surrounding yourself with people who think in a way that focuses you on the future? And so for me, asking myself, who are my closest friends who are my closest mentors, who when they hear me talk and being held hostage to the past, they love me enough to call it out and say, oh, Lou, I, I know you're saying this, but I don't really believe you believe it. And they help to usher me into the future. Uh, a third part of that is having a faith life that really trusts that we walk by faith and, and not by sight. And that comes over time. We have to be patient with ourselves There are people who we admire who have great faith, but if you ever experience what they've experienced to develop that faith, you probably wouldn't want what they have. So it's like one of my movies that I love. Uh, I love all of the Rocky one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And there's a song that says there's no easy way out. There's no shortcut home. There's no easy way to faith. There's no shortcut to faith. It happens over time. And oftentimes through trials and tribulation. So it's uh, the one having a, a personal devotional life, two friends and mentors who hold us accountable, and three being willing to take this lifelong journey of faith that even when you take your last breath on earth, you'll still be growing in faith. You never get there. It's always a journey. Bishop, do you want to speak into this issue as well? Well, I, I just want to say that uh, I, I really like the, the notion that you have to really practice, practice, uh, you know, what it is that we preach. Practice isn't the thing that you do once you're good. Yes. From the book, but it's the thing you do that makes you good or faithful. 
my mom my mom is 99 brad and will be 100 uh this august so we're preparing to celebrate our 100 but whenever you leave her home in chicago she always she always says put on the whole armor of the lord whoever's in her home whatever <laughs> then she says pray as you go pray as mm. you go and I think if, I think if we would hold on to that, you know, put on the whole armor of the Lord and pray as we go, that that uh, we'll do, we'll do well. And like one of the things that the pandemic has taught us is that there is a place for recognizing trauma as something real. Mm. That some have said that the whole society has kind of experienced trauma. Certainly in the church, uh, the trauma of the pandemic. Uh, part of it, you you write about this in the book too. You know, part of that trauma of the pandemic is caused in some cases stuckness. I don't know if that's a word, but stuckness, and uh, and and it has uh, stifled some creativity, and caused paralysis. And but also some places. My wife is a big proponent of this. She says a lot of good things have come out of yes. this pandemic as well, and we need to thank God for the good that has come. A sense of urgency and adaptation. You know, mm. you know. People were slow to understand that the being missional, being outwardly focused as a church. Then when we could no longer be this cloister group that just gathered people in buildings, then that really opened our eyes that if we want to be the church, we really have to be the church uh, in the whole world, not not the church on our on our particular corner. So I, I just want to thank thank uh, Olu for your for your leadership and uh, for the way in which you're preparing yourself. For this next chapter, you have a lot of. I know a lot of people may say, "Well, why, why leave? Why, why stop doing a good thing?" You, you're pastoring one of the largest, healthiest churches in in the in the country. Uh, you know, you're a relatively young man. Uh, 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 you know, why not? And but you talk about being open to God's calling as a servant leader. There's yes. several people who said there's, there's only one really true kind of leader. That's a servant leader, uh, but can you give us an inside inside look at to, you know, yeah. you know, uh, uh, your, your current calling to a new chapter? Yeah, and and so for me, uh, the Jeremiah story. Before you were born, I called you, and I've never sensed the call experience as a static, one-time moment, but that continues to develop. And so I look back over my time in the local church, and I've been blessed to serve as a as a student pastor, as an associate pastor as a youth pastor, a number of things. And now, of course, as a senior lead pastor, church planner. And I've always had passion and vision beyond the local church. And so this next phase of ministry and call for me is shifting from doing the work in the local church to now resourcing leaders in the local church, both lay and clergy. So through this book, I've got several cohorts that are meeting across the country, one in the California Annual Pacific Conference, one in the Missouri Annual Conference, one in the Alabama West Florida Annual Conference, and one in the Texas Annual Conference in 2023. Hopefully we can come to Indiana and beyond and have some cohorts, uh, several of those. But we meet every month in person one month and virtual the next and we're doing deep dives on practical ministry. So we're talking about vision casting. We're talking about leadership style. We're talking about raising money. We're talking about preaching. We're talking about church structure. Um, everything that we've learned, but now we have to learn again in this post-pandemic world. I'm also continuing to preach and to teach and doing some adjunct professor work um, at seminaries. 
and I'll continue to write. I'll continue to coach and consult uh, with leaders and also with churches and trust God um, that the call of my life um, is always developing and always flowing. So that's the work that I'll be doing in these uh, next weeks and years to come. And sure, super I- excited about it. You're actually right, living out. Right. You're you're actually living out the normalizing next for you personally, which is a great, a great model there. And yeah. I would. I'm sorry, Bishop. You had something. You want. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm just going to share what I shared at our covenant day, Brett. I don't know if you were there. That just I, was, to remind, I had a funeral that yeah, day, so I'm not. That's right. That. I I just want to you know as I reminded our our pastors, I said you know we've also been called to our families as well. Hmm. So I just would just I say that by way of encouragement to you Olu thank you that, that we've also been called to 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 our families and so uh uh my my our children are now 40 for from ages 40 to 34 but we're we're grandparents now mm-hmm. but uh you know we only get one of these lives so mm-hmm. so as, as we give ourselves away uh we, we also have to make sure we're giving ourselves uh the space to to be the kind of servant leaders that have a have a call by God, but that part of God's calling is to our family. I say that by way of anything I can do to just continue to keep you in, on our prayer list. We will we will do that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. I did want to ask you before we go here today, Ulu yes. and Bishop as well. I I just think it I just think what your the principles you have about normalizing next are important for us to at least consider and to see the application towards the chaos in the United Methodist church right now, all three of us, United Methodist uh, clergy people. And, and we love the church and we love God and, and so on and so forth. But we know we're in a, a time of schism and a lot of fear and a lot of angst, uh, you know, a lot of things going on. What you teach about normalizing next, can you speak to that, how that may be some transferable principles for a local church pastor or that administrative uh, leadership team or the, you know, Anybody who's involved with Leadership United Methodist Church who are going through this chaotic time right now, how can some of your pretzels speak to this angst? Well, two things, history and focus. Um, And you're even seeing that with generations, um, uh, you know, as an African-American having peers, um, when you see George Floyd, which is extremely traumatic to see that somebody being killed literally in front of you. Um, There are generations who are much younger who see that as the only point in history. But if you live long enough, you would know these things have been happening. There were just no video cameras there. And so you're able to look at a full spectrum and say, our nation, our world has always been unkind to certain individuals of color, certain genders, certain nationalities. And so you also have to take the same approach with the church and know the history of the church. And even back to the early church, followers of the way of disagreements between the early apostles. And unfortunately, some of the things that we've done uh, that have been hurtful to all of humanity in the name of Jesus. Now, that doesn't make it better where we are right now, but it does give you a panoramic view of history. And you can back up from this moment where the United Methodist Church is and look at it not from a single moment in the life of the church, but you can develop an opinion and a stance based upon where the church has been historically. So my encouragement to leaders is to educate yourself on the history of the church 
and then use that to make decisions about your individual or collective way forward. The second is focus, and that is to focus on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I know we say that so much, it, it becomes an overstatement, but the church is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And whatever the church looks like tomorrow or a hundred years from now, our hope in particular coming right after Easter is that Jesus died uh, and that Jesus rose again. And because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whatever the church will look like tomorrow, it will still be the church of Jesus Christ. And so our hope is not in men or women or denominations or non-denominations or theologies. Our hope is in the power of Jesus Christ. So know the history of the church to make your decisions about where the church is and where it can be. And then secondly, stay focused on Jesus. Awesome. That's what I encourage, hopefully through the book and my teachings and writing. And that is indeed an encouraging word to be focused <laughs> in on Jesus first, foremost, and always. And we, we like to, you know, have that uh, as a thought because we are to be encouraged and, so we thank you uh, for those thoughts there, Olu. And Bishop, do you have any thoughts for us about, uh, you know, Olu's left us on a good, good note here about focusing on Jesus. Yeah. What encouraging word do you have to share here today for us, Bishop? Well, I think that's a good place for us, Canada, to uh, close out our podcast. Uh, I just want to uh, quote from uh, from the Bible in I'm quoting from the Bible as I'm quoting from Normalizing Next in the book, too, as well from Proverbs 16, the common English Bible, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Uh, I believe that's true. And I believe that Olu has given us a gift in this book and the work that he's doing. Uh, Philippians 4, 9 on the same, which talks about practice here, practice these things. These are the those who were the uh, uh, followers of Christ and preached the risen Christ said, practice these things, whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace be with you. And, and to quote my, my mama who says, uh, when you leave the house every day, put on the whole armor of the Lord and pray as you go. Uh, God loves us and there's nothing we can do about it, but respond in faith to the grace that we receive from God. So thank you so much, Olu Brown, for normalizing next and for all that you're doing and for the way in which God is using you in this present day and the days which are ahead. Uh, uh, Brad, you know, just recently, the, it was the launching of a new uh, global Methodist church, and someone was asking me about that. And I said, I, my, my aim is to be pleasing to Christ, and that if people are uh, 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 seeking to be pleasing to Christ and to proclaim uh, the gospel uh, to all the world, then, then I have no I have no. Uh, nothing but prayers for those people who, who choose to take that pathway. Yeah, Olu writes in his book, he talks about the way, but also talks about the pivotal time of the Reformation. And if it be, if it's God's, it's God's will that there be more Reformation going, there's always Reformation in process, and so be it. But I praise God for our opportunity to be an instrument of grace and an instrument of encouragement, uh, both through the church and, and for me, of uh, United Methodist Church, and for us, uh, this one one vehicle through this particular podcast. So God bless everybody, uh, and we look forward to connecting with you very soon. Well, it's been an honor to have uh, Olu Brown as our guest today here today on the To Be Encouraged podcast.
You can find out more about him at his website, olubrown.com. That's O-L-U-B-R-O-W-N.com. And about his uh, books, Normalizing Next, as well as several other books and many great resources, including some great videos on his website about uh, what he is all about and about what is next for him, his coaching and his opportunities are there. And we'll put uh, links to that at our website, which is tobeencouraged.com. It's good to be with you here on the To Be Encouraged podcast. Our guest today has been Olu Brown. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, and this is the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius Julius C. Tremble and giving you an encouraging word for a discouraged world. Consider yourself encouraged and appreciated for listening to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Now, please share the blessing and encourage others in your life to listen to Be Encouraged. You can do just that by pointing your people to the website tobeencouraged.com. That's T O B E. E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D.com or connect through Apple Podcast where you can follow, rate, and review To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimple. When you do that, you're doing your part to bring a good word to a discouraged world. Remember to listen next week to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble and never forget, God loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it.